And then we do community activities and different things together just as women. And that is so, so, so important uh, because that trauma piece will just prevent, prevent a woman from even walking through the door. And if that's the case with the recovery meeting, you know, what do you all think happens with church? I mean, there's a lot of men in church. That was one of the reasons I was terrified to go to church for a long time. And I would, when I finally went, I would sit in the back. I would sit where I made sure I knew there wasn't some, you know, young man or family, a husband sitting close to me. I mean, it was, it was terrifying not be able, not being able to control the environment. You know, are people thinking about that when you're planning services, you know? Um, so anyway, so it's a lot, to, it's a lot to consider. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and on the show today, we are talking with author and advocate Carolyn Beadler. Now, some might be surprised to hear that I think discipleship and addiction recovery have a lot in common. Now, hear me out. First and most obvious is the community. It's pretty well known that feeling being a part or feeling like you're part of a community can really increase the likelihood of success in addiction recovery. And with discipleship, discipleship is usually done in community where there is a relationship between the discipler and the individual who is growing in their faith. Actually, we are encouraged to be part of a community throughout our whole faith journey. There are scriptures in Hebrews 10.25, Acts 2.42, Ecclesiastes 4.9, and even in 1 Corinthians 12.25 that encourage us to live our faith with a community of believers. And recovery, the next commonality is recovery is based on stages or steps. Now, this might be new language for people, these stages, but I'm going to go through them because I think they're really important. For recovery, these stages include pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. We're going to, those will be in the show notes if you, if you want to reread those. Where pre-contemplation, the first step is where people have no awareness that addiction is even a problem. Contemplation is where people are aware that their behavior or the addiction is a problem, but really aren't taking any steps to change it. They're like, yeah, I know it's causing issues, but whatever. <laughs> Preparation, now that's where things really shift. People are open to change and the awareness that there is a problem grows as well as the desire to change grows. Now, things really start changing in the action phase or the action step where people are taking steps to actually change their behavior. They are actively pursuing recovery. And then maintenance stage. Now, this is where people have seen success in their in changing their behavior or their addiction behavior, and they're maintaining that, um, that success. 
Now, interestingly enough, relapse is the final or not final, but is another stage of recovery because relapse is so common that it's just part of the process. Recognizing though that relapse isn't the end or it doesn't mean complete failure, but there's always opportunity to return to the steps of contemplation and and preparation, action, and maintenance. You can always come back relapse is not the end. And these steps are really consistent in our discipleship, our faith journey. You think about it, the time when we are not aware of salvation, right? People are just not aware. Their eyes are closed or their ears are closed. I think the Bible says. Then there's this discovery of faith, of Christ's sacrifice. Then there's that growing and maturing and seeing how making mistakes doesn't mean a loss of our salvation, but it means that with repentance and reconciliation that we can continue our faith journey. I think these steps and these stages are really, really similar. Then the final commonality of addiction recovery and our faith journey is this foundational value of hope that you are what you're experiencing today does not mean this is how life will be eternally these are these commonalities are so aligned that it makes total sense for the church to be a core host for recovery groups or be a part or part of the community of recovery now, Carolyn Beadler, she's a social worker, she's an author, she's a recovery advocate, and she's a leader in the faith and recovery space. She's founder of the storytelling platform, Bright Story Shine, which she has created um, to be a space for people to share their recovery stories and offer hope, as well as she is founder and visionary of the annual international event called She Recovers that is held on International Women's Day. Now, along with all of this education and skills as a clinician, Carolyn also has the perspective of lived experience, meaning that she has experienced addiction recovery personally. Now, this combination is powerful. She can say that she has been a victim of trauma and struggled with addiction and has the training to support others through to recovery. Carolyn grew up in the Midwest, where running barefoot in the forest and shooting BB guns with her brother was a normal thing. Uh, she didn't grow up in a home where that went to church. And, and in fact, her first experience with church was going with a friend to youth group. So we did not even do church on holidays. Uh, the only experience I had of church was going with a friend, uh, my friend Crystal. Um, shout out if you're listening, Crystal. Hey, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her family was amazing, and they really took my brother and I in during some hard times. And mm -hmm. I remember going to youth group with her, and you know, singing the songs, and but just feeling kind of out of place and not really, not really understanding. You know, and I, I think I write about this in my book, Downstairs Church, but I remember being confused that there wasn't beer around, like why this, why the leaders weren't drinking, um, you know, yeah. youth group, you know, I look back down, I'm like, of course no one is drinking alcohol at youth group Wednesday nights, you know, but um, I remember loving that just the fellowship and there was just something so pure feeling about, mm. about those Wednesday evenings. Mm. So how did you come to faith then? Well, it was a, definitely a journey. You know, I think I always felt this connection, like there was something out there, but I didn't have mm -hmm. a name. I didn't have someone or something or, you know, I didn't have 
this conception of, of who God was. And I had no idea who I was praying to when I was asking for help. You know, for example, when I was struggling after um, experiencing some traumas as a child or, you know, losing my grandpa who was, you know, pretty much raised my brother and I for a lot of years. And, you know, I just, there was just this gaping hole you know, just this wound. Mm. And um, I just remember just so, so early on, just feeling this hole and being in a place of really wanting to search out something, I don't know. But as a kid, when you don't have that model of what a Christian home is like, or what it means to be a Christian, I mean, it was it was a very confusing place to be in. And I, I ended up looking to fill that that wound to heal that wound in, in a lot of ways that were not helpful <laughs> and actually mm-hmm. were more harmful. So as a teen, always just recognizing that there's this gap or there's this longing for or as a young adult, um, is that, you know, we, we're definitely going to go back and touch on, you know, your first, you know, experience with addictions, um, but would love to hear, you know, when you came to faith, were you a young adult and, and what brought you to faith then? Yeah. So I was actually in my early twenties and, um, a series of things had happened in my early twenties, but I ended up getting, um, involved in caregiving. So I was studying, you know, to get an English degree and I was doing different types of caregiving and home care roles and just being really involved in service. And I met someone through that who, um, we had a little bit of a tumultuous uh, relationship, but the one one of the, one of the things that I really appreciated about our relationship was he introduced me to going to his church. And um, at that point, mm-hmm. I made the decision to get baptized, and I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that it was something I wanted to do, and um, I was baptized on an Easter Sunday with a lily dress on. I I love that lily dress. Um, it was me and another baby, you know, and I'm like 20. 20 you know, and um, but I, was, I was too excited to be embarrassed, you know, and I didn't know yeah. at the time that it was actually Easter Sunday when in the early church people were, you know, um, went through baptism. And um, so from that, it was just like the Lord was just drawing me in, you know, and I wow. didn't get sober at that point immediately. I didn't stop mm-hmm. having, you know, relationships and, you know, sex Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, all of these things and living in that, in that way. Um, but the Lord was just drawing me in and the persistence Mm. and just the mercy, you know, of our God and that patience as I was, you know, learning how to set boundaries and learning more about my identity in Christ, who I was. I mean, I was, I was just like a newborn baby, really. Um, you know, looking back, I was a baby that Sunday, you know, getting baptized. And so there was a lot of years of um, really intense <laughs> discipleship and just coming to know the Lord. Um, and so I look back now in my early 20s, I'm in my early 40s now, it's just, just such a beautiful time of coming into myself uh, as a daughter of God and learning more about my identity in Him. I love that. I just think it's a beautiful picture that you're sharing that regardless of your background, you knew long, there's always, always this desire and you had exposure as a teen, you know, like you said, with youth group, but when you as a young adult made that decision that the behavior didn't change right away, but 
what changed was your heart posture. What changed was your desire to live for him. And you said grace and love and compassion and all of these things. And I think it's a really amazing story because those who are listening are the caregivers of churches. They're the ministry leaders who are supporting and walking alongside people. And, and it can become difficult or hard as we'll talk more about um, addiction and, and, um, and, and trauma in women. And, but change doesn't, happen right away, nor does it can does it often happen quickly. And so I just think that's amazing that your journey started off with grace and compassion. And there's clearly people that walked alongside with you as you journeyed that through that. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was not alone in those years of discovery and, and learning and discipleship. You know, I had a hard time connecting with church. And I, you know, I want, would love to talk a little bit more about, about that. And that's part of why I wrote, you know, my book Downstairs Church. But as a woman struggling with addiction who experienced significant trauma as a child and then later on in active addiction, you know, research actually shows that over 80% of women in addiction recovery have experienced sexual violence of some form. And so I had so much shame and you know, just embarrassment, guilt, you know, I just felt so different than quote unquote, you know, church folks, like church ladies, you know, there was just this separation. And now of course I see it was internally, that's where that division came from, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't connect. And, um, I think sadly, you know, and, again, that's why I share my story so much is I think we as the faith community, and I certainly consider myself when I say this, there's so much that we can do to meet women like myself who've been through significant trauma, who are in active addiction. There's so much more that we can do to meet, meet us, meet women like me where, you know, where we're at. And, um, Unfortunately, things like stigma and just not understanding addiction, not understanding the connection with trauma, too many people see someone struggling with addiction as, you know, there's something wrong with them or they're choosing this life and, you know, they're steeped in sin and they're choosing to be separated from God. Well, there's some truth to that, certainly. Another part of that is trauma, you know, the enemy uses that to just isolate us, you know, and mm, um, yeah. sadly, there's too many women who aren't able to move like I was and, and you know, um, over so many years into a place of freedom. Mm -hmm. I think people forget that, or at least sometimes I do, when you're looking or meeting or talking with someone who their choice, life choices or lifestyle or addictive behavior, any, any kind of choice that differs from you or differs from maybe what you would say is sinful or, or right behavior, whatever that could be. There's a whole spectrum of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we often forget that people are, people engage in behaviors because it's meeting some sort of need. Mm-hmm. And, and addiction is often the, the, they're self-medicating or they're using that to provide support or, um, medicate or numb a trauma that they experienced. And r- rather than, um, I don't want to say the word attacking, but it, it might be more helpful to address 
the identity and the trauma issues rather than the addiction issues, because those are just secondary to what people experience, especially women, like you said. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know, it wasn't until a couple years after being baptized and I, you know, experienced sexual violence again, I was raped coming out of a bar, um, just wow. about to graduate with my undergrad. And that was the second rape I had experienced. It happened, you know, earlier when I was 14 in high school and, you know, just the the level of shame surrounding that. But what was interesting is a couple years after that, I was at a women's event at a church. Now, mind you, like this is something I had to basically drag myself to. It was the last place <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, but the Lord yeah. like gave me the strength to walk in, sit at this table that was beautifully decorated. I'm like, where do these women get these spiritual gifts? But, you know, God love you all <laughs> if you're listening. I am not my, one of those, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm not um, but you know, I sat down and one of the exercises was, it was actually an if gathering. I don't know if y'all are familiar, but yes. shout out to if yes. folks. Um, and one of the exercises was standing up and reading this card, this printout of all of these statements about who we are, who God says we are, what scripture, you know, in scripture, who does God say we are? And I actually include like a little snippet of this in my book. Cause I loved it so much. Um, but it was reference after reference after reference. You know, I am loved. I am a daughter of the King. I am, you know, mm-hmm. redeemed. I am made, you know, I am clean. I am, you know, all of these things. And I was weeping, shaking and weeping. And all of these women, I'm getting goosebumps right now. All of these women came mm-hmm. around me and put their hands on me. And it was mm-hmm. like this, you know, it was this movement of the Holy Spirit really speaking to my spirit in this place, in that, in that moment where it was like chains were breaking. And I include this in my book because too many women, again, don't have that opportunity. They're not coming into the church because they're not, they don't have that, you know, for whatever reason, they, they're not able to drag themselves there or they feel too some too much separation, or they feel like people in church are so much better or different or perfect, you know, when we know that's not true. Oh my gosh. You know, um, we're all broken, <laughs> yes. but it's so important yes. to share that message to women, whoever, men, whoever you are, who are struggling, you know, who we are. And when that really hits us and moves us and that truth fully becomes, I mean, it is absolutely transformational transformation, like literally we are new creation. Is that what motivated you to write this book? Is that, is that, was that the catalyst or that, obviously that was kind of the, 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 the pinnacle moment where things shifted, where your identity, where you heard for the first time that you were worthy and that you were loved and that you were whole. And, and, um, what was it that provoked you to write this book downstairs church? Well, it's been, it had been on my heart for about 20 years. I mean, I knew the first time I came out of addiction treatment, God put it on my heart, like to write your story. I mean, I've always, you know, written and, um, and, uh, so I, you know, I've written a couple, I wrote a couple drafts way back when, and, you know, wrote for a little bit of time. And then of course life happens and I got involved in developing recovery programs and recovery housing and, and supports and service and ministry and, and all of this amazing stuff. Um, and then it was around 2020. And I don't know if you've had this experience where, you know, God puts something on your heart. And, you know, when it's been 20 years, like at some point, 
you know, like I remember when I was waiting, you know, for my husband to propose, it was like, all right, God, I'm, I'm 36. You know, the clock's been ticking. I've been praying for this for almost 20 years, you know, but I had just kind of stopped thinking about writing a book. You know, I hadn't really. And then all of a sudden it was just like clear as day. It just felt like God was whispering, you know, now, now is the time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all these doors started opening all of these, you know, connections and, um, Anyways, and so so I was I've just been obedient to that. It's been a little confusing at times. It's been a little uh, discouraging at times when you get you know rejections from folks and it's or you know messages you know that someone disagrees with something or um, whatever. But you know, being obedient to that has been an incredible experience. And um, and yeah, ultimately, it's like I want every woman to, to experience that, you know, and I know an, a book's not going to do it, but words are powerful. You know, God uses words, words are powerful. And I believe that seeds can be planted, uh, through, you know, through reading, through the exchange of information, through podcasts, through, you know, just sharing with folks. So, um, it's been pretty amazing to hear now, you know, feedback from folks on how just pieces, you know, stories, different parts of it have have led folks to action, which is, you know, another one of my ultimate hopes for it. Typically or traditionally, when you think of an addictions group or program within a church, you do think of a group sitting in a circle in the basement of a church um, with snacks and really thick coffee in the (laughs) corner. Um, And and the people that you picture sitting around the circle are often men. Mm. I, I love that you you personally and within the book and, and within your work broadly um, are an advocate for for recovery for women. And would you be able to speak to why or how maybe perhaps it is that recovery for women would be different or look different um, within the church or or within the community? Well, I think you you make an excellent point in that when many of us, and I'm a person in recovery, and trust me, when I walk into most meetings, most of the people there are men. And um, it's not unique to the location I'm, I'm in. It is a well-known fact that in those spaces, there are more men. There are more resources for men. So in the States specifically, there are uh, the percentage of recovery houses available for women is so much smaller, certainly way less opportunities for women who are uh, pregnant or parenting. And so, you know, there's fewer resources and there's research that shows the stigma towards women who struggle with addiction is greater, that it's seen as more of a moral failing. Women who are pregnant, who are struggling, um, at least here, you know, many are imprisoned. Um, and so that's a huge growing crisis <laughs> in our country with a huge population of women who mm-hmm. are imprisoned for substance use issues compared to men. And so this stigma and you know, ultimately, like I've shared a little bit about my own trauma when over 80% and, you know, I throw out numbers, you know, because it 
helps prove a point. <laughs> a um, but I deterrent. believe a lot of times they aren't accurate because who wants to admit to something's happening? I believe a much higher percentage of women have experienced some type of sexual trauma. And so when you experience something like that, walking into a room of strange men isn't like the top of, at least for me, like what I really want to do. <laughs> a huge deterrent. It's a huge Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so when you're not able to access those types of recovery supports, it can be really challenging. So one of the best ways that women's recovery can be supported, and I've seen this, I've experienced it, I try to help build it in our local church, <laughs> is having community of women with lived experience and also women who you know, have that maturity, have that other experience in life doesn't necessarily have to be addiction recovery. Although I believe we're all in recovery from something, Uh, maybe being a human, I don't know. Um, But having a woman's only place where a sense of safety is fostered, where, you know, hopefully women can go and, and feel that community and feel protected. So we, our local church has a weekly speaker meeting. It is co-ed. And it's interesting. If you walked in, most of the folks on the left are men. Most of the folks on the right are women. We kind of sit in our space and then we do community activities and different things together just as women. And that is so, so, so important uh, because that trauma piece will just prevent prevent a woman from even walking through the door. And if that's the case with the recovery meeting, you know, what do you all think happens with church? I mean, there's a lot of men in church. That was one of the reasons I was terrified Mm. to go to church for a long time. And I would, when I finally went, I would sit in the back. I would sit where I made sure I knew there wasn't Mm. some, you some young man or family, a husband sitting close to me. I mean, it was, it was um, terrifying not not being able to control the environment for people to gather. Are people thinking Um, about that when you're cleaning services, you know, thinking about Um, how, so anyway, so it's a lot, it's a lot to consider. I know a lot of churches are, Dark because you of, give some really great uh, we're online now, so in there about having a women's production space to, to having, make it look good online. Um, it you know to have dark and lights and things like that, but that can be a huge deterrent for people. And so, creating opportunities, whether that's on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday or Thursday night or wherever or whenever it might be, but creating spaces that are more accessible for people who've experienced trauma is huge. Now, another thing that I know that you have created that is really practical and really helpful is that you have developed a, um, almost like a book club or a group guide for your, for your book. Would you be able to share a little bit more about that? Oh, no. <laughs> That's okay. So the book club kit and small group guide is a free resource that I created as a complement to Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery. And I'm really hoping that it's going to be a guide that can help folks, women specifically, walk through some of the really deep, gritty topics in the book. So, you know, for example, providing a space not only for, you know, journaling and personal reflection, but asking some really tough questions, you know, about what you connect with in the book. You know, I tell stories not only of my own recovery, but, you know, my friend Tanya who gave birth in prison or my friend Ashley, you know, who got, um, 
brought into human trafficking. And, you know, some of these stories that for women like me, even if we haven't experienced that specific situation can be very triggering and can bring up things. I think personally in sometimes a good way where we're challenged and we're encouraged to, you know, reflect on and really look at at some of those things that are keeping us stuck and so to be able to move through that in a safe environment with folks maybe from a church or, you know, doing a book club um, with women who are experienced or have experience in recovery, I think will be a really healing process and I'm ex- so excited to be able to share that. And, you know, my husband's always like, quit giving stuff away for free. Um, But we talk (laughs) about it and it's like, you know, it's so important for me for these resources to be accessible and for all, you know, fellow writers out there, you all know that you basically don't make a living writing books. (laughs) So, or most of us. Um, But it's so important for me that it's free and accessible and same with the book. So if you're working with folks or maybe you're, you know, leading a women's ministry at your church and, cost is an issue. I mean, I'm always telling people, just shoot me an email, find me through my website. And um, I'm giving books away for free because one of the things I think also that's a barrier for so many of us in recovery, and I experienced this for years, even as an avid reader, is we don't have access to or feel connected to some of those amazing resources out there. You know, some of my favorite authors, Jenny Allen, Christine Kane, you know, Beth Moore studies. I mean, you know, all of the like amazing, really good stuff for women a lot of it doesn't feel accessible to women in recovery or women seeking Mm. addiction recovery. And so one of my hopes is to bring in that accessibility. And, you know, in my subtitle, I talk about the grit. Uh, I'm really hoping that by talking about some of the really hard stuff, people can also feel open to share and be vulnerable. And um, we all know Mm. what happens when we are honest and and confess our sins to one another and uh, share those dark parts of ourselves. Healing can happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for your generosity and I hope people are able to, we'll have the links on the show notes um, and available for people um, to, to, to download the, that guide and your website so people can connect with you. So make sure you head to the show notes to get those links and, and connect with yourself. And, 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 and I've, think it's really cool that you could be creative. If you have a women's, it doesn't have to be an addictions ministry. Mm-hmm. It could be a women's ministry because there is a good chance, like you said, that so many of us in some way are in recovery of something, whether it's the need to be needed, whether mm-hmm. it's sugar, whether, you know, it's exercise or like there's so many different substances, behaviors, or emotions that people feel like they are striving after. And I think mm-hmm. When we can normalize this process of of transition, of of recovering, of overcoming, then we create a humanity. We come, like you said, there's we feel freedom and vulnerability to share with one another, and healing can take place. And so, thank you for taking away the barriers and making sure that people have access to this. I'm curious when you think back to your early years whether it's as a teenager when you were thinking about, okay, you know, there's something that it's missing or, or when you were a caregiver learning about Christ for the first time, or, or maybe it's in your, in a a space in your recovery journey. If you can think back to those early days, if you could write yourself a letter or, or send yourself a voicemail or an email, what would you tell your younger self? Hmm. 
I love that question. And I feel like it's always changing, you know, when someone asks me that kind of, um, but at the same time, not. And I think ultimately what always comes to mind is hold firm, you know, hold fast. Mm. Just this idea of, you know, hold on and it's going to get better. You know, you're going to get through it. And I love, I love being able to share that message of hope with other women who are struggling because, you know, it doesn't matter if you're struggling with addiction or whatever your issue is. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like whatever that thing we're going through, that it's not going to get better. Like we can't see, it's foggy. It's like, we can't see beyond what's right in front of us. And, um, I had such severe, you know, depression and anxiety and some really tough struggles, you know, even after, um, getting baptized, giving myself to Christ, you know, starting the journey, you know, I learned, you know, it doesn't get easier when you become a Christian. (laughs) I'd note there. Um, But there were so many times in that, especially in my early twenties where it was like, oh, I just, I almost couldn't see that there was something else out there beyond the struggle that I was facing right in front of me. And um, yeah, I would just lovingly whisper to that young girl that, hold on. Um, I wish I could give her a picture of what my life is like now. We have this family picture and I might start crying just FYI, um, of my two beautiful children. I have twins, Henry and Violet and my husband. And, you know, I got married a bit later in life and had them at 37 and, um, waited for a long time, you know, for that life. I didn't know if that was going to be, uh, for me. And, um, God blessed me in an, pretty amazing way with that and showed me that anything is possible, absolutely anything. And um, yeah, if I could show her that picture. So if maybe there's someone listening right now that needs that encouragement, just picture that life that you don't know if you deserve, but you know that God wants for you and that good thing, those good things. And you know what? It might just be right around the corner. So hold on, hold fast, Mm. hold firm. Beautiful. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for for pursuing the call and and being sensitive to the voice of God in prompting you to read this, write this, write your story. And thank you for your generosity and making it accessible for people. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for your ministry. Hey, thanks for listening. When you picture a recovery group, you often think of a group of rough or or tired looking men sitting in a circle in the basement of a church. And while this is true for many, this stereotype can leave everyone else that does not fit this picture, namely women, feeling alone, isolated, without community. But I love how Carolyn offers a message of hope and practical resources for women in recovery. If you are a care coordinator or your church is a place of hope and host a recovery group, you're definitely going to want to check out Carolyn's book, Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery, as well as grabbing that free download that she offers. Well, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode and that it provides you with support and practical tools to serve your community. And if you haven't followed the podcast yet, make sure you do that on the platform that you are listening to right now. This will make sure that you are up to date on all the episodes. Thanks for connecting and take care.